We're starting a brand new season of Bridge Men tonight. And let me give you a couple things to preface what I'm going to say this evening. We've set a bit of a theme several days ago, or actually a few weeks ago now. Doug McAllister and I got together and sat down. And then Doug and I, along with Zach and, and Nick, we all sat down and discussed where we felt like God wanted us to go with Bridge Men this year. For the last three years, I guess it is now, Doug has been leading and speaking at our men's events, doing an outstanding job. Uh, first of the year, Doug took on a new position and a new job. He's extremely busy. Actually, he's working out of town today, and he wasn't sure if he'd be here tonight. He may come in late. Um, so he's not going to be able to be quite as involved as he has been, although he will be involved speaking some. But we, we really felt like there was a direction that God was giving us. And I want you to do something. I want you to pick up that Bridge Men card on your table there. This is a promo card, something you can take and, and hand out to your friends to encourage them. It's a pretty simple picture of a guy looking in a mirror. And you may wonder, well, what is, what is that all about? And if you read James 1, 22 to 25 later on, don't do it right now, but read it later on. It tells you what it's all about. But here's the point I want to make. Every one of you kind of has an idea of what he looks like or what you look like when you, look, when you look in the mirror. How many of you look in the mirror pretty much every day? Okay. A couple of you came in tonight, I saw your hair. A couple of you, you need to look in the mirror before you leave the house. Okay. It would do you good. But, you know, you, the mirrors are there for a reason. Uh, how many of you recently have ever looked in the mirror and said, oh, my gosh, where do those wrinkles come from? How did I get so old so fast? You know, th those things happen in life. But we look in a mirror and we see who we are, but we also see what we are. Scripture teaches us that when we're in relationship with God and we know him as our father and we're committed to him, that every time we look into the mirror and we look through the word of God, we can see what we can become in Christ. But if we don't follow through with what we see in the word, and if we don't apply it to our lives, it's like a guy who looks in a mirror and walks away and forgets what he looked like. In other words, you can come to church on Sunday, you can be at Bridgemen on Tuesday night, you can hear a message, get all encouraged. If you forget about it the next day and never put it to work in your life, it's just like you've forgotten what you could look like. And this year, we've got a bit of a theme, and I, I asked if I could introduce this, and the assistant pastor so graciously said, yes, I could. So isn't that great that they let me start tonight? But, but I want to begin with the story in 1 Kings chapter 18 that I think really illustrates this. There have been times in my life when I've been challenged by someone's story, by a sermon, by reading scripture, I've been challenged because I recognize God says, you can do this, you can become this, but I realize I haven't yet become that. Have you ever been intimidated when you thought about what you weren't? Have you ever gotten discouraged when you think, man, I've only grown this much, I should have grown this much? It's easy to get into condemnation, and the enemy wants to do that to us. But the flip side of that is God uses where we are, and then he gives us a vision of where we can go to keep us growing and moving forward in him. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we'll read in just a couple of minutes, there are three or four verses I'm going to read out of this chapter. But let me set the story up. The nation of Israel has been in a drought. 
They've had a horrible king, an ungodly king. His wife is even worse than him. They've brought pagan worship into the people. They've got all kinds of gods set up all over the land, all kinds of different altars. They're worshiping all kinds of so-called deities. And as, as a result, drought comes into the land. And there's a lot to this story that I've got to skip through fast. But after a few years of drought, Ahab, or, or King Ahab, who's this evil king, he has Elijah the prophet come to him and say, Hey, here's what we're going to do. I've been in hiding for quite a while now because you wanted to kill me. But you're the one who's brought this drought on the land. So here's what we're going to do. I want to bring all the people of Israel together at Mount Carmel. I mean, a mass of people. Call the whole nation together. We're going to meet at Mount Carmel. And then what we're going to do is we're going to have a contest to find out who the real God is. If it's Baal, who you serve or if it's my God, the God of Israel. We're going to have a contest. So Ahab said, great, I'll bring all the prophets. And he said, oh yeah, bring all the prophets of Baal because i got a big surprise for them. So they're going to have this big contest. And so they call the people together. And look, if you would, at verse 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, just watch the screen. We'll have the verses there. When all the people are gathered together, here's what Elijah does. It says, Elijah came to all the people and he said, how long... Will you falter? Notice that word. How long will you falter between two opinions? When I read that verse, it seems like that word falter is out of place. I'll show you why in just a moment. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Either they didn't know what to say or they were afraid to speak. But he asked this question. How long are you going to continue to live in this state where you're kind of caught between two mindsets? How long are you going to ride the fence and sit in the middle? In English, the word falter means to lose strength or momentum. It's like you're running in a race and you're headed for the finish line, but all of a sudden you start losing your strength and you lose your momentum and you run out of gas and somebody else passes you by. But, but that's not what the word falter means here in the original writings. In the Hebrew, the word that is translated falter literally means to hop and to skip over something. There's something there you need to deal with, so you hop over it. Or there's two different mindsets, and you're hopping from one back to the other. How long will you hop from one mindset to another? Another translation of the word means to skip over. To skip over something because you don't want to deal with it. Another translation of this word means to hesitate. Like, uh, well... Yeah, I'm not sure. Should I go here? I don't know. Uh, so you're kind of caught in the middle and you're hesitating because you're double-minded and don't know which way to go. Another translation of the word means to dance around something. Am I going to deal with it? Nah, I just think I'll dance around it for a while and look at it. Then one more word that comes out of this is the word limp. I've hurt myself jumping from place to place, not making up my mind, and I've strained some muscles, and now I'm limping. Here's what's interesting about this. I see a lot of people, even men, living life this way today. Now, let me say, 
I would rather be down there speaking to you, but because the lighting, because we record these, I need to be up here. I wish I was down there among you so I could look you really close in the eye. But I want you to listen to this. I see a lot of people doing life this way, hopping around from mindset to mindset. I see a lot of people today skipping over things that they don't want to deal with, and those things are just getting bigger and bigger in their life. I see a lot of people hesitating. Well, I'm, I'll, yeah, no, I'm just unsure of what to do. I see a lot of people dancing around issues they need to deal with. I see a lot of people limping because they've refused to make the choice that they know they need to make. This is what Elijah says to the people. How long are you going to live this life where you're just kind of jumping around, going back and forth? When are you going to make your decision of which direction your life is going to go? What causes, what causes people to falter? What causes people to get in this position? I think more than anything, it's compromise. We take in too many mindsets, too many ideas. Oh, yeah. We go to church on Sunday, oh, yeah, I believe that. But on Monday, yeah, but I don't do that. Oh, yeah, that's good. Well, but, but this is okay. And as a result of our compromise and accepting things into our lives, things begin to happen. Now, what this really is, is it's a double-mindedness. It's, oh, yeah, I know I, I need to do this, but I'm kind of stuck in this rut and I'm doing this. Oh, yeah, Scripture says to do this... But you know what? That may be the best policy, but mine's second best. And so we accept this compromise in our lives. When we sat down several weeks ago, Doug and I, and first started talking about this, he shared some stories with me. And, and you know, I listened to what he was saying, and I shared some thoughts with him. And we, we came to the realization that for the last two or three years, we've been talking about godly men manning the gates of our lives, the areas where God has given us authority and responsibility. We've talked about this a lot, but this year what we're going to do is we're going to, after tonight, we're going to go down to individual gates that God's given us, and we're going to talk about how can we be the men God wants us to be in these different avenues of our lives. What does God want of us? We're going to zero in on some very specific areas. But what happens when I'm double-minded? What is that happens? Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Once you read a passage of Scripture with me, it's real familiar. James 1 verse 5. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, in other words, if you have to make a decision and you want to make a right decision, you don't want to make a wrong decision and you're not sure what to do, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. How many of you, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but just honestly, how many of you pray and ask God for wisdom when you have to make decisions? I do that every day of my life. Pretty much every day of my life. God, lead me in the right path. Give me wisdom to make right decisions. But he goes on to say this. God will give you the wisdom that you need. And then verse 6 says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. When he says, ask in faith, what he's saying is, ask God for wisdom, but you better be ready to do what God shows you to do. 
And I preached it a week ago Sunday. What is faith? Faith is the appropriate response to God in this current situation you're in. Faith is responding to God, acting on what God says to you and doing what he asks you to do. Verse 7, let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. If you ask but you're not committed to do what God shows you, he says you're not going to receive the blessing of God. Then verse 8 it says, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now that's a bit of a rebuke there. I'm going to lift my hand. I'm not going to ask you to. I'm going to lift my hand. There have been times in my life when I've been unstable and double-minded about things because I had compromise and I wasn't committed to what God was putting in my heart and what he'd showed me in his word to do. So what happens when I'm double-minded? Now I want you to hear this tonight. Think about all the areas of your life. What happens when I'm double-minded? Well, first thing that happens is I become influenced and driven by the wrong forces. If I'm double-minded, opinions other than God's begin to blow me and push me in a wrong direction. I become influenced by people who I should not allow to influence me. Another thing that happens is I begin to miss some of God's best in my life. Well, I don't understand. Why don't I have more of God's blessings here? What about at work? What about at home? What about in my marriage and my family? With my kids, man, my, my finances. Why am I not seeing more of God's blessings? A lot of times it's because we're unstable and we're not committed to what God's shown us to do. Double-mindedness. Another thing that happens is I become inconsistent and unstable in all of my life choices. Have you ever noticed... When you're double-minded in one area of life and you can't make the right decision, before long it begins to affect other areas. And there's two areas you can't make a decision. And then there's three areas. And then one day you say, well, until I get this decision made, I can't make these other decisions. And double-mindedness keeps us from making the one decision we need to make. It begins to destabilize us. And soon my entire life is hopping and skipping, and hesitating, and limping. And before long, I am one unhappy, unfulfilled man. I'm not happy with my wife. I'm not happy with my kids. I'm not happy with my job. I even kicked the dog. I don't like the house I live in. I don't like the clothes I wear. And what it does, it begins to taint the way we see everything in life because being double-minded keeps us from being focused and on the right track. When I was a young minister, I knew this older minister who was going through a real challenging time of life. He was one of those guys that us young guys looked up to. But he, he fell into some issues. He, he, he made some mistakes. He let some things in life get out of balance. And he got to a place where his whole world got turned upside down. He almost lost his marriage. He almost lost his entire family. He almost lost his ministry. His whole life got turned upside down. And it all started with one area of his life where he became double-minded. And I watched him go through this. And thank God he turned the corner. He got it all put back together again. And God's blessed the rest of his life. But here's the interesting thing. I heard him one night speaking after he'd gone through all this stuff. And he told a story. 
He said, in the middle of all the stuff that I went through, one day I walked into a department store because I needed to buy some socks. How many, how many of you are like me? I can buy socks fast. It didn't take me long to buy socks. He said, I went in to buy some socks. And he said, I was in the middle of all this turmoil, all this double-mindedness. And he said, I started looking at socks, and I could not decide which pair of socks to buy. I just need a couple pairs of socks, and I couldn't decide which ones. They had all these different styles, all these different colors. All the, uh, and he said, I stood there for probably 20 minutes, and I could not decide which socks to buy. And he said, I walked out of the store, and I was so frustrated. He said, I, I almost was breaking into tears. I thought, God, what is wrong with me? And he said, God spoke to me and said, you're double-minded, and you've become unstable in all of your ways. When we let the big things get out of control and away from God's ways, it begins to destabilize all of our decisions of life. Double-mindedness will destroy your marriage, your family, your job, your finances, your friendships, even your relationship with God. I look at this Bridge Men card, and I've got just a few more things to share before I'm finished. But when I look at this Bridge Men card, some of you came in tonight, you've been looking in the mirror thinking, well, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. But you've been listening to this message and you realize that God wants me to be this and this and this. You're seeing yourself with potential through the eyes of God's word. And God says, yes, yes, you can become that. But he asked the question, how long are you going to hop back and forth between two opinions? So, how do I fix this problem of double-mindedness? I want you to do something with me. Go back to 1 Kings 18, where we started, and I'm going to read just a couple more verses and show you some key things just before I finish. Can you imagine what happens when we become double-minded? When the big things in life are not settled, when we're not really walking with God and doing what we know, you know how it affects your marriage? Oh, I love my wife. But boy, that gal at work, I like her a lot too. That's compromise. That's double-mindedness. And you walk down that road a while and, man, you know what? This job, I make a living and, man, you know, it's, it's been good for my family. But, man, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just tired of coming to work here every day. I think I'm just going to do something different. We get dissatisfied with that. And then you come home and the kids, kids are wonderful, aren't they? I'm glad I have grandkids now, man. You love them and kiss them. When they get dirty diapers and they start throwing fits, you give them back to mom and dad and send them home and it's wonderful, you know. I've been through those years of raising the kids. Kids are wonderful. But when you're double-minded, you walk in the house and you can't stand any of them and all you can think of is where can I go to get away from all of this? And when we get to that place, then we start making some really bad choices that are really hard to undo and to fix. All begins with compromise and double-mindedness. Look at verse number 30. 1 Kings 18, verse 30. So Elijah lets the prophets of Baal try all day long to call down fire from heaven. They can't do it. 
Then it's Elijah's turn at the time of the evening sacrifice. Here's what he says in verse 30. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And skip all the way down to verse 40. Elijah said to them, this is after they called down the fire from heaven. Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. He killed several hundred prophets of Baal that one day. Now, why am I telling you this? I'll give you a, a story. When I was oh, in my, about 30 years of age, I, I had moved back to the state of Arkansas. I was traveling at the time, ministering across the country, traveling minister. I settled in northwest Arkansas for a lot of reasons. I don't need to go through all that. But I was living there, and uh, some of you know this. I have an old collector car that I've had since I was 20 years old. I took it to Arkansas, had it shipped back there, had it in my garage. I would drive it some on nice days. One day I noticed when I got out and drove it, there was a little bit of white, just little puffs of white smoke coming out of the back. How many, how many car guys do we have in the house? What does white smoke mean? It means you got a head gasket problem somewhere. you got water coming out the exhaust. So I watched it for a few days, and it started getting worse and worse. So my dad was a mechanic. He owned a gas station. So I, I called him, and I said, Dad, my, my car's got white smoke, puffs of smoke coming out of the tailpipe. He said, which side? And I told him, he said, well, you got a head gasket problem. You need to replace that head gasket. I grew up around a gas station. I'm, I'm pretty good with tools. I could have won that contest tonight, by the way, Tim, just so you know. Um, oh, by the way, when, when I first met Pastor Corey, he said, oh, yeah, I love tools. Man, I got a motorcycle I work on. I said, really? Do you have a lot of tools? He said, well, I don't really have any tools, but I love tools. So whatever he said tonight about working on his motorcycle, don't pay any attention to that. He doesn't even know. He doesn't know what a tool is. So anyway. I got, I got to pick on him because he's youth pastor. But, so I called my dad. He said, here's what you need to do. You need to replace a head gasket. I said, how do I do that? Dad had taught me to do little jobs, but he wouldn't teach me to do bigger jobs because he didn't want me to get locked into being a mechanic. I told him, I don't want to be a mechanic. I want to preach. He said, then get out of the gas station, go preach. Let me do work, the work on the cars. So I said, well, I don't know what to do. He said, I'll walk you through it. So you know what I did? For three or four days, I called my dad about every hour and say, okay, I did this, what do I do next? And he walked me through every step of that. Got the head off, took it down, had him grind it down, got it put back on with the gasket, got it all put. And by the way, it was a bigger job than I thought before I started. I got finished, started the car up, and it ran just fine. And I did it all long distance on the phone. That was back before cell phones, okay? So I, I, I say long distance phone calls, and my son makes fun of me. Long distance phone, what's long distance phone calls? It means somebody calls from a long way off, okay? It's kind of simple, but I guess they didn't teach that in school. So anyway, here, here's my point. Here's my point. How many times do we go to God's house and we hear a sermon and we realize, well, this is what you need to do. Do this today and then go to the next step and then go to the next step. And you keep going to God and God will walk you through this job and in a few days you'll have this thing fixed. After I talked to my dad, I had to make some decisions. Do I follow his advice or do I just start tearing this motor apart and just try to do it myself without any insight? 
Do I do it his way or do I do it my way? Or do I just turn up the radio and turn the rearview mirror away where I can't see behind me and ignore the steam and ignore the temperature gauge and just keep driving? See, some of us are living life that way. Turn up the radio. Turn the rearview mirror where you can't see. Don't watch the gauges. Don't pay any attention to it because this thing's just going to keep going. One of these days, something's going to snap. Because that's what double-mindedness and compromise does to us. How do I fix this problem? Here's what Elijah said, and I'm going to give you three things. The last one isn't his direct words, but I'll show you where it ties in. Number one, he says, draw near to God. He told the people, come near to me. Draw near to God and start talking with him. Repair the altar of God that's broken down. Draw near to God, lay yourself on the altar and say, God, help me, I need the help. Draw near to God. We sang the song earlier. Friend, hear me. God's not going to reject you. Can I, how many of you were raised in church with strong church background? Let me tell you something. Nothing you ever do in your lifetime is going to embarrass God. See, I, I, I grew up thinking, man, i got to walk the straight line. I sure don't want to embarrass God. I want to tell you something. God's got some kids in his family who are a lot worse than you, and he's rescued them from a bigger mess than you're in. So don't think you're going to embarrass God. Draw near to God. Come near him and repair the altar of God. Start talking to God about what's going on in your life. Number two, end the compromise. See, for Israel, Elijah said, how long are you going to keep doing this? This is decision time. If God is God, serve him. If he's not, then go serve Baal. But you need to make up your mind now which one you're going to do. Stop being double-minded. So repair the altar of God, draw close to God, and then end the compromise. I, I mentioned it when I read the verses because I wanted you to notice it. Elijah killed several hundred prophets of Baal that day to make sure the people didn't have these guys to follow anymore. Get this compromising influence out of your life. No more prophets of Baal. No more priests of Baal. We're going to kill them all. We're going to get them out of the land, get them out of our lives so they don't influence us any longer. What's influencing you? Is it that gal at work? Grass is not greener on the other side. I promise you. Family life with her isn't going to be easier than where you're at right now. Oh, but my boss, if, man, my, my, my job is my problem. No, probably your attitude towards your job is your problem. When your attitude's right, if the job is wrong, God will open a new door for you. This is good for somebody who needs to hear this tonight. Yeah, one, one, one person laughed, and it's probably the guy who has to deal with the griping employees. Oh, but, but my family, you don't know my family. Yeah, and, and they tell me, you don't know my dad. You know what? Take this stuff to God. Get the compromise out. Kill the compromise. Destroy the things that are getting you off target. And then the third thing, Jesus taught this and James taught it. We need to be hearers of the word and then we need to be doers of the word. What I hear on Sunday, I put to work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. 
what I hear at Man to Man, at, at Bridge Men, what I hear on Tuesday nights at these meetings. I'm going to leave here, and I'm going to go home and put it to work in my life. If I need to, I'll talk to my wife. I'll talk to people at work. I'll talk to my kids. I'll make a commitment. I'll do what I need to do. But I'm going to stop compromising, and I'm going to get the wrong influences out of my life, and I'm going to start doing what God's Word says. What God says I can be when I look in the mirror of His Word, I'm going to become that person. One last little story, okay? I've, I'm five minutes long. I apologize, guys. Here it is. I was talking earlier about when I was a young minister. In my early days of ministry, I, I made a friend from this other guy who was a traveling minister. He was from Texas. Big Texan, you know. Talked like a Texan, looked like a Texan, wore the boots with his suit. And, I mean, he was, a, he was a real Texan. And <clears throat> one night I was in one of his services, and he was preaching, and he told a story. He said, I was in... North Carolina at a church preaching for several nights and every night when service is over I'd go back to the hotel where I was staying and they had a little restaurant and I'd go in and eat a little dessert piece of pie or something before I went to bed just kind of unwind for a few minutes and he said there's the same waitress in there every night and she'd come talk to me he said nothing out of line she'd just come visit with me she was friendly and he said one night I went in there and there's a state trooper sitting at the counter eating a meal and he said, this guy was so filthy-mouthed. He said, man, he was saying some raunchy things. He was flirting with this gal. He was hitting on her. I mean, he was raunchy. And then he talked about how he did some things that were wrong, stopped some people and giving them tickets he shouldn't have. He said, man, this guy was so corrupt. He was horrible. And he's bragging about all this stuff. And he said, he goes on and on. And then after a few minutes, he looks down the counter at me and says, well, I haven't seen you in here before. Are you new in town? And my preacher friend looked at him and said well yeah I'm just visiting he said what are you doing here are you here on business he said well I am on business but I'm actually preaching at a church here in town he said oh you're a preacher he said yeah he said all of a sudden this state trooper his countenance changes and he says well I'm a religious man myself <laughs> he said but he said you know my religion's a little different from some because my daddy's church always taught us that we could be fence riding Christians that it was okay to hold on to God with one hand and ride the fence and hold on to the things of the world with the other hand. As long as we could ride that fence and not fall off, that was okay. And my buddy Larry Joe looked at him and said, Well, friend, I don't know what kind of fences you have in North Carolina, but in Texas, our fences are made out of barbed wire. <laughs> he said, You might ride the fence, but you won't ride the fence for long. You'll get on one side or the other. And he said, I think God wants you to get on one side or the other. What's the old saying? Stupidity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. I want you to bow your heads. Here's what we're going to do tonight. I want just a couple of quiet moments. Aaron's going to come to the keyboard and just play very quietly. I want each of you to just lock yourself in with God. And I want, to, I want you to ask yourself two questions, one at a time. First questions, what area or what areas of my life have been compromised and I've become double-minded? Ask yourself that question. What area or what areas of my life have been compromised caused me to become double-minded? Ask yourself that question and think about it for a minute.
What areas of my life have been compromised? I become double-minded. And then the second question. Tonight, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it tonight? What am I going to resolve and determine in my heart? What am I going to change? What am I going to do? What prophets of Baal do I need to kill? What compromises need to leave my life? What am I going to do about it? There's a handful of guys here tonight. You've got some hard decisions to make. And right now you're wrestling because you know this is what you need to do. But you're thinking, well, no, I don't, I don't want to kill this thing. I don't want to kill those influences. I just want to not, not be influenced by them so much. It doesn't work that way. You've got to get them out of your life or they will destroy you. So what are you going to do about it? Let me pray for you tonight. And if you would, just open your heart. Let God work in your life. Father, I pray for these men tonight. I pray for them, Father, because these are wonderful men. They're good men. But maybe tonight there's an area here or an area there where we've allowed compromise to come in. We've become double-minded. God, as you've shown us this area or these areas tonight, I pray right now that you will show us what to do about it. That we will have a holy determination to serve you totally so we can see all of your blessing in every area of our lives. So God, I ask you to shine your light on us tonight. Let us see what you see and then help us to determine what we're going to do to respond to this word tonight. How we're going to take this word and use it and let it work. We're going to be hearers and then doers of your word. But give us that holy resolve. God, there's some men right now asking for wisdom. God, speak wisdom because they're going to respond. They're going to do what you show them to do. They're going to go home tonight. They're going to go to work tomorrow. Whatever they need to do, they're going to go do the things they need to do to change some areas of their lives. God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Burn it into our hearts. Tonight we say yes to you. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to have some table time. We're going to have discussion around the tables. Uh, we're making a determination this year. We're going to finish teaching a little bit earlier, so we have plenty of time to discuss things. Four questions I want you to discuss around your table. We'll have them on the screen. Number one, how can we draw near to God? Number two, how can I strengthen my prayer time with God? Number three, how do I end the compromises of my life? How do I end compromise in my life? How, how do I do that? How do we do it? Number four, what is my commitment tonight? What am I going to do? You know what? I don't want anybody here to embarrass yourself, but as you're talking with, with friends, brothers in Christ who want to encourage you. As we're talking around our table, some of you tonight are going to say, you know what? I, I'm going to go home and make some changes. I'm going to go to work tomorrow and make some changes. I'm going to have a talk with my kids. I'm going to make some changes. Some of you need to make a determination and, and tell somebody tonight so they can help hold you accountable. This is what I'm going to do. 
And some of you are going to say, well, you know what? I'm doing really good right now. I'm not compromised. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's awesome. Encourage those at your table, okay? So let's have this discussion. Talk about these four questions tonight, and then we'll give you instructions a little bit later.